I'm sure you've all heard of this term, the data deluge, or something very similar to it, and I'm sure you've heard it many, many times over the last five or so years, even more than that, possibly. But nonetheless, the version of the future that this signals, and that's a world awash with data, is still common. One second. Different design for different people, of course. The estimates of data traffic and storage are growing all the time, and this source, you know, there, I mean, you, you read new versions of this every second day. This one is for 175 zettabytes by 2025, and the mathematicians in the room can explain to us how many zeros that actually includes. This is a common way to render our attention and awareness, a litany of digital processes, for example, every minute. So whether it be searches, conducted, our videos watched, our emails sent, our tweets made, our photos uploaded, and so on. And the we here, of course, is the people who are enabled by the global tech community. So leaving aside the question of actually how do we count that type of stuff, the implication seems clear enough. How can we continue to sustain this? At this rate of development, current magnetic and optical data storage technologies are simply not sufficient. Even though silicon chips are amazing, they're approaching their capacity limits. And so we're facing another serious problem. And that is, how can we store, access, and analyze data on such massive scales? So here's something I've recently begun to study, uh, and it's the rise of DNA as a new storage medium. DNA has been storing, been storing genetic code, at least, for millions, if not billions of years. So in its own way, it's evolution's biological data storage system. It's dense, durable, easy to manipulate, and has plenty of great storage potential. The tech industry are investigating and investing in ways to translate digital data, so ones and zeros, into biological data, so DNA assets. This storage, our DNA storage, has been articulated as one of the new and many frontiers in the biotech community. And the idea is that it will use a fraction of the physical space of contemporary server farmers, or server farms, sorry. And hence, use vastly fewer resources than we currently do today. This is an image from a DNA storage product project at Harvard University. And as you can see, it imagines the progress of humankind through its data storage technologies, highlighting the sweeping upwards arc of, from prehistory right up to today. So we first stored data through paintings and then writing. Then we had the advent of printing and then bits and bytes and now DNA. And this type of sweeping story will be familiar to many. It's already been done with synthetic DNA. Researchers have already translated and stored a host of important cultural heritage items, including, as you can see here, all of Shakespeare's sonnets and Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Although right now, using the synthetic DNA is expensive and it's kind of slow and it erodes quickly. In essence, the process works like this. Ones and zeros are encoded into acids a, C, G, and T, for those familiar with your biology, via software. This is synthesized and sequenced into synthetic DNA in a liquid form. And this DNA can then be injected into, for example, a plant 
So think of this as the upload phase. The download phase, the move from plant back to data, is achieved through other types of genetic sequencing technology where the liquid is decoded into data formats. The near-term ambitions are to facilitate organizations who don't require immediate access to their data with a type of cold storage in DNA format. Over time, this will be cheaper, more secure, and apparently better for the environment. But the way the tech industry imagined this is powerful. They envision a vast global scaling up of DNA storage technologies, going as far as to suggest that all the information, whoopsie, that's not you, sorry, all the information currently stored in one large hyperscale data center could be contained into a space roughly the size of a few dice. So we would go from something like this to something like this. But it's not just big tech who are speculating with these technologies. There are other actors, fortunately. One is a group called GYOC, or Grow Your Own Cloud, and they're, they're based here in Copenhagen and also concurrently in Berlin and Paris, depending on uh, where the work's at. And the next step for this group is not just to store data in synthetic DNA, but in the DNA of organic matter. Imagine, for example, storing your family photos in the flowers on your coffee table. Amazing, right? But what would this mean? Right now, this research is still at a very early stage. GYOC have developed what they call three speculative prototypes. The first was a project about a data flower shop. And in this speculative prototype, the focus was on soliciting reactions from the flower shop community in relation to the central idea of storing meaningful data in flowers. Take, for example, a picture of a person's now deceased pet being uploaded into something like flowers or a plant. And the group GYOC were trying to get a sense of how people reacted to the idea of uploading meaningful memories into organic material, as well as the ability to care for this data at home on the coffee table. So the questions they're asking are what, what type of new relations, if any, between technology and nature does such a process lead to? The second project was a move from, from, from speculative prototyping to what they call the reality of a data garden. Here they developed a fully functional end-to-end DNA-based data server allowing for autonomous live decoding of data from plants. And they did this in collaboration with the Molecular Information Systems Lab at the University of Washington. The third and current project is scaling up even further. Known as urban data forests, this project is prototyping a small DNA storage forest. The idea here is to begin the experimental move from plants as data to forests as data infrastructure. And in their own words, the project investigates how biology can help establish regenerative green data infrastructure, a universal biological cloud capable of capturing carbon dioxide and storing digital data. So this, what you could call ecotech imaginary for data storage, is fascinating, it strikes me at least. And one of the researchers describes it like this. Imagine walking through a park that is actually a library. Every plant, flower, and shrub full of archived information. You sit down on a bench, 
touch your handheld DNA reader to a leaf and listen to the Rolling Stones directly from it. Or choose a novel or watch a documentary amid the greenery. One simple tree could provide all of the educational data anywhere in the world. So this is an exciting ecotech vision of integrating nature and technology in new and, importantly, climate-friendly ways. But what would it mean to digitalize nature like this? And where might this end? Potentially uploading digital data not just into organic matter, but into more familiar organic matter. Again, think of pets. Well, this is still in the realm of the speculative, what's already begun is a series of conversations on the ethics of these imaginaries. But there are many tensions at play in these imaginaries about DNA. It wouldn't be hard to argue that the entire problem of climate change is part and parcel of the Euro-American desire to colonize the planet's resources at will. And we see this in the past, and we see it in other visions of the future, as multi-planetary enthusiasts like Bezos and Musk claim that colonizing outer space is one or probably the best way to solve the climate crisis. There's something interesting going on here when the solution to one form of colonialism that puts the future of the planet in jeopardy is another form of multi-planetary colonialism. Might we think of the turn to DNA in similar terms? Well, rather than a drive to get us to change the structures of the data economy, it allows us to continue to see solutions to problems through the same troubled optics of colonizing and extraction. Except this time, it's through a deep colonizing dive into the inner genomic spaces of DNA. So you could say that the colonizing logic of extraction has allowed us to see the natural world as but a set of resources to be harvested. First in order to build civilization, and now apparently in order to save it. So, we need to understand, I think, at least the logics and imaginaries at play in the futures that are being built today. And the space of ethical deliberation, I would suggest, is right here and right now. Thank you.